Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Then I jumped on the bandwagon. I'm your host, Aaliyah, and this is Heavy Business, a podcast where we talk to music industry professionals and musicians and learn together about the music industry, marketing, and other tools that can help you promote the music you put so much effort into creating. Hello and welcome. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Curtis. And this is Heavy Business. And today we have on Tomas Sakonen from Before the Dawn and Wolfheart and other projects in the past. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Tomas. Thank you. Um, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I know you've told this story on other interviews that you've done, but if you'd be so kind, please share how the story of how you connected with your new vocalist for Before the Dawn and uh, the, the story of the resurrection after almost 10 years of a hiatus that was intended to be more than just a hiatus, I suppose. Yeah, we we were never supposed to come back. We didn't have any plans of coming back. I've been super busy with Wolfheart. I have the whole this year schedule set with Wolfheart. Yuho, the guitar player, he plays in Swallow the Sun. He has the same. He is now just coming back to North America in, in September. So we, we've been super busy and there was no reason to do a comeback until we saw Babo performing one of our songs in national TV. He was uh, competing in Voice of Finland. And uh, and that that uh, that was like a huge thing. You actually called me like, turn on your TV. Somebody's on a TV doing before the dawn. Like, what? I don't I don't really support that format of a uh, for program. I don't like how they deal the whole how they don't support the artist at all and just do the whole entertainment for the money. So of course I wasn't watching that, but I yeah, I saw his performance when I got the phone call, and um. And then I then I started to be in contact with Babo, but uh, but there was no talk of, uh, about before the dawn. I actually suggested him that I could, I might have some ideas that could fit for his vocals. Naturally, everybody in Finland saw that the, his voice fits for my riffs at least, and uh, and I wrote a song. We went to studio, and when I was driving home from the studio with the final mix of the song, then it like hit me like this sounds like before the dawn. And that was the first time when I actually considered like, ah, oh, this might actually be a thing. And I started uh, calling to the other members from the back in the days that were part of the last lineup in 2013. I sent the song and I was calling them like, does it sound like a crazy idea? Like, am I just like uh, imagining things? And everybody was like, yeah, sounds good. I mean, so, and that car ride actually like, uh, set the whole thing in motion that there was a comeback so uh, this has to be one of the most accidental comebacks in 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 metal history i think i think yeah i think so very organic and like just yeah. listening to reality and what's happening and going with it very cool yeah. story um so when you brought it back you released the single first and can you tell the story of the experience behind reviving this project and how it was maybe different from if you were starting a new project? Well, the biggest difference is, of course, we we did 
used to exist for 15 years. We did a lot of touring in Europe, uh, even in Russia and Asia. Uh, released uh, seven albums back in the day, so we were we were super active band. So we already had like uh, established a fan base. That's the biggest difference with uh, with uh, doing something new completely. But um, it can it can also be like a like a burden because oh, we, awesome. we at the same time we knew that the, there's a lot of fans that would love us to do one of the old albums again. They would like like to hear the band in the same form and with the same sound that it was like 2006, which of course for us would be impossible. And of course we wouldn't want to do that. So so there's a, like a, that that can be a burden also. But uh, but at, at least in our case, it went super smoothly and well with the old fans also. But uh, it did surely it did help with the label situation. I was already like working with Napalm, so that was that came super easy. I just get one email from from the guys. They were monitoring the whole before the dawn situation when they when we put out the first single, downhearted. Click, I got an email, and uh, that was the the basically the label side, and um, of course, yeah, it, it helped a lot of things, but. We did set the bar really high. We knew that we need to make a really good album. Because there's a lot of fans that we can upset also. So at, with the new project, you start from the from a clean slate and you can just win new fans. When you have a like a, a lot of albums and a lot of history, you can also lose a lot of fans super fast. So definitely I could see how that could be a complication. And I think that uh you know, as somebody that's a fan and part of a band myself, I see that side of fans a lot where they're kind of upset when bands evolve and change, but it's kind of, it has to be part of the process. If you're changing as a musician, the music has got to change as well a little bit, but, but yeah, obviously the music has really impressed a lot of people and uh, I don't, I haven't seen anything negative about it. So. Um, I think, it's, I, I think we did stress about the, the fan base in a way that like uh we we knew that if we do a good job if we write good music and we do a good job in the studio with the production and everything nobody can come and say that we did bad album or bad music of course there's a difference with taste i i know certain people one of my best friends uh we've been friends for like uh 25 years and uh she is a huge before the dawn fan from the early era and she didn't want to come and see the first show we played because she told like it's not gonna be the same. She doesn't want to see that big of a change. She wants to keep the old before the door. And that's a different thing. If if your if your thing with my band is about the certain vocalist from certain era, of course the change can be bad also. But if we do the job well enough, nobody can come and say that we did a bad album. Absolutely. So coming into this new album, then you decided to move on, move forward and create an album for Before the Dawn. Um, can you talk about the songwriting process? Like, I, I know you write, you write the instrumentals and do you, did you write all the lyrics as well? Yeah. So what was the process like um, handing, like how much do the other mem members get involved with the, um, with the songs? Uh, the the 
the way I write songs that in my head I I there's the drums and the guitars and the bass working together already. So I, I can't just write a riff. If I write a riff, I my head writes the drums already. If there's guitars and drums, there is already bass. So I always come up with the pretty like a full arrangement with all the instruments, but uh, but I never expect the other guys to just copy paste me. Of course, I I I just make the skeleton. They bring the 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 organs and the meat for the for the song. But uh, with vocals, Baba had a really big role because I I made the demos for each song and I wanted him to give the initial idea. I didn't want to tell him anything about my ideas with the vocals because, yeah, it doesn't make any sense for me to tell him what to do. And I think that was the one of the reasons why the album sounds so fresh. Because, uh, yeah, there was a, one guy that was never inside the box that used to be before the dawn. He came from completely like a fresh ears, fresh ideas. So, yeah. And he's responsible of the main arrangement between the growling and the cleans. And when he had the basic ideas and demos sent back to me, then I started working with the lyrics. Right. And you mentioned he's doing the growls and the cleans. Yeah. So you're no longer doing vocals for this band. You moved behind the drum set. What made you make that move? Uh, several reasons. Uh, one of the things like if, even if we were offered like a pretty okay amount of money to do the comeback with the old lineup, with me doing growlings and, and being in the front, I would not have done it because I already have Wolfhard. I don't particularly enjoy that much being the front man anyway. I, it's like, I know, uh, I know how to get it done. And it's like, a, it's not a problem, but, uh, but having two bands where I do it exactly the same, I think that would hurt both bands. I would not enjoy it that much. And uh, since Bob, to be honest, Bob has a better growling than I have. I wish I would have that deep voice with the growling. But uh, he does my parts better than I did. He does the cleans. So where would I fit? Like, would I just play the rhythm guitar in the corner of the stage, being super awkward because I don't have the mic that actually anchors me to the stage? And uh, that was one of the reasons. There, there's no reason for me to be a front man because we we just got a new one. We he's he's gonna steal the spotlight for a good reason. The other one is the I did play drums on most of the Before the Dawn albums back in the days. I even played drums on on the first Wolfheart album. Then I did Dawn of Solis and Black Sanian albums. So I I played like fifteen albums so far as a drummer. Uh, all of them are my own bands, but. Uh, where I wrote the music, but it it was super like a, it was very natural for me to actually go to studio and also play the drums because I did it so many times already. And um, yeah, I, I love to play drums. And in the in the back catalog of Before the Dawn, there's so many songs I always wanted to play as a drummer. But of course, I was stuck behind the mic and the guitar, so I never got to do that. But there's so many songs I played on the studio myself. There's so many things that I always wanted to play and uh, this is my opportunity. So there's uh, practical reasons and uh, selfish reasons also. That all makes sense. And it's good to have a balance of the two. Um, so I think we'll go ahead and move into the industry side questions. Um, you've been in the industry for a while and I think you have probably a lot of insights 
into how it's been evolving and changing. Um, in your mind, what do you think are the things that bands should be doing now to grow and become successful? That's a small question. Only yeah. a little question. I know it's so broad, <laughs> but uh, well, and yeah, I can you can take it where you think is most important, perhaps. I, one thing that I've, I've I've come across a lot, and there's a lot of like younger bands sending me demos to listen and and testing their ideas, and um, or asking me to cooperate in some way. But uh, one thing that I like, there's a certain pattern rising that is 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 not very healthy for especially the younger bands. Is there's a lot of nowadays a lot of labels where you can basically just buy the release. You throw them like few thousand euros or dollars, and they will do the release and print the minimum amount of albums. You you go to the professional level too early. It 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 was a little bit different back in the days when you. It was their own struggle to just go to studio and and do the first demos, and then you you have a then you send the tapes or the CDs to somebody who makes these small reviews in a magazine, and you get the feedback. People are skipping that part completely. Like you start running before you can walk, and uh, and that's uh, people don't like especially young bass. They don't really realize. I I think they don't realize that when when you start thinking and acting like a professional releasing artist, you're going to be compared to any other band there. Like if, if you don't sound in the same level or your songwriting is not on the same level like Amon Amoff, you're going to be, there's going to be a certain damage. When when you go out too early and, um, and you, when you don't really build the fan base, you just skip those crucial steps and uh and just throw the money to one label and and suddenly you are releasing your debut album and uh the label doesn't really do anything else than the label stuff they don't do your social media they don't have any part of like the fan base building they just try to get their money out that's the part of the business that's any label should do that because that's the only way they get the money back and they can invest to another band so yeah i think bands needs to slow down a little bit especially the younger ones because it's not just like a it's not really hurting the industry or the business but it it doesn't serve anybody when somebody you have a talented band you probably they could have a really good future but the it's a really big like motivation killer when you hit the wall super fast because you just you were running before you can walk I, so, I want to I want to interject a quick question then. So, what are the advantages of being on a label then for a newer band, if any, in your opinion? Of course, you get the whole like promotion. That's even even though if you have everybody has the internet, you have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have TikTok, you have all the tools. But to be able to reach out enough like uh, people in the media and actually grow in social media it's super difficult so with label you do get the promotion you get the you get the reviews you get the in most of the cases uh, the the uh, streaming pitching goes well you actually you are able to like connect with the network 
of course, if you go there too early, your production and the, the album is not on the correct level, you're going to be butchered, basically, in the reviews. And that's going to be your first stamp in your career. That's going to be really difficult to wash off. Like, if the next label you want to go into, they Google your name and they only see a little bit shitty reviews, they see bad statistics in the streaming or in your social media because you didn't really took the time to build the, the fan base. Of course, if you have 300 fans in Facebook, it doesn't multiply on its own. That's because the album came out. So, but the promotion, that's still like, I think I've seen a lot of like bands talking that you don't really need the labels anymore. You can release the music yourself. You you do need the promotion. That's That's a profession that I don't know any musician that would do that well. So... I had a question. I know you kind of touched on this earlier, um, but so you guys basically got signed this signed without really having to put the effort into it by the sounds of it. You kind of, it was kind of like the label came to you by the sounds of it. Yeah. So um, why do you think that is that you guys kind of had, do you think it was just because of your past or do you, what, or is there some sort of secret thing that you think that you guys might've done that might've been, made it so that way you could, uh, a major label would reach out to you again well Napal was after before the dawn for years they, ah. they they were checking yearly like is anything gonna happen are you gonna do something new see and uh so that that helped a lot but one one big factor probably because of course it's a, it's a really good label i have a super good relations but it's also a label they they do need to make a business they need to see that they can make money. That's the reason they invest for the promotion, distribution, everything. But some weird thing happened to us during the past 11 years. Like when when before the dome went down, Spotify was not even a thing. The streaming wasn't a thing. And uh, I don't exactly know who, which, which label and how and when our music was uploaded. For example, Spotify. It was around 2015. That's I've seen from the statistics. From that point, we did 14 million streams, which doesn't make any sense because there was no promotion. There was I was no... just going to ask, how the hell did you do that? But okay. I don't know. I okay. don't know. I have no idea. It's just because the music's great. That, yeah. I, I would love that to be the reason. But they but... haven't released anything in eight years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things like we, there was no Spotify, like a playlist. Nothing was promoted in any of our social media. We did like total six posts in 10 years. We, we I, I started Instagram just three months ago. So we we were very badly like uh, in the social media. Of Naturally, we weren't active because we were not alive as a band. Mm -hmm. So these I think the, those kind of numbers help a lot. For a label, it's always important to see that they can make at least their money back. It's uh, like if we burn shitload of money, we're going to hurt some other band because they're going to get smaller budget for their next album because the label needs to make the... Yeah, it's a business. That's the same rules like any business. So I think that helped also a lot because they saw that things something is happening still. Like we are not like just dead cold in the water. But uh, yeah... They were they were also checking like yearly if like something is happening let us know and uh, then when we decided to do the comeback I sent one email well 
some something is happening and then then we made the contract that's awesome so before what you were talking about bands going to these kind of pay to play labels are you what do you think about bands self releasing their albums and getting their own pr and things like that do you think that's potentially detrimental or um, I kind of feel like that's almost necessary to even get a label's attention nowadays. Like you have to prove that you can go out there and do things for yourself before a label will even consider bringing you on. So kind of what's your thoughts on the self-releasing model? Oh, I did it myself. I, I did it with the first Wolfhard album. So it, it, it can be very good, but it's also same rules apply with uh, what I told uh, a lot of bands run before they can walk you you need to do the, the the groundwork first it will it might take years just playing small show and shows here and there and and trying to get a little, like a, the opening slots from a bigger tours and and creating your fan base that's if you don't have people already listening to you even if you release the album on your own and you put a lot of money for the pr you hire right people it doesn't work if there's nothing on the on the background like if if you have like 500 fans the algorithms doesn't even work in your favor even though if you throw the money in your social media it doesn't doesn't grow so again i i know it can be super frustrating i i've i've been in that place myself when i started before the dawn i i was burning the cds when i made the first first demo and i was gluing the covers that I printed myself with the printer. I know how shitty it can be in the beginning and how and how funny it would be to just get there like this. And there's the internet is full of stories, bands just like a skyrocketing, which is not really like a reality. It's it's like a comparing to a lottery lottery winner to a regular person. So yeah, it can be a very useful tool. I do agree that labels want to see this kind of like uh, activity, but also if that backfires and and you sell seventeen albums and you don't get a good numbers in streaming, labels will see that also. So, again, a lot of work needs to be done to actually attract people to your music before you start releasing stuff. And I know it's not the same now as it was back then. But what did you do um, to promote and build your fan base when you were first starting out? Uh, we played a lot of shows in Finland. And we did this. Uh, it's, it's now it's super cool to see those same bands doing insanely well. But uh, we did like this uh, tours together with Insomnium or Omnium Gatherum that like uh, we play two shows in, in their home territory and they come to our region in Finland so we get to play for their fans they get to play ours so each band benefits also uh, with the amount of audience and you get to play to your completely new faces and and then you can make it look like a mini tour or so which it's going to look better in the media so the the whole small package of geeks actually gets a little bit more attention and we did those quite many times and uh, that was the, the the first step to get to the first festivals when you can show that uh, you are actually being able to sell certain amount of tickets to a small venues. Of course, you're gonna get like asked to support a bigger bands, 
So I think we were climbing those ladders for the first four years. I want to quickly just interject something here. So hopefully this doesn't come off odd sounding or anything like that. But so you're kind of a name now, well, kind of a name. Like, so how do you how do you feel like that's kind of opened up doors for the band um, in terms of getting on those festivals and things like that? Because like we were kind of talking about it from the viewpoint of like a newer band, but now, but you guys have been around for a little while, even though you've kind of reformed. Does that make sense? Like, how do you think that's kind of helped having the history? Well, it naturally it didn't help in the in the past. I, I had to fight my way to do to the good relations with certain festivals. Now it's nowadays is a completely different story with at least some of the festivals. At least like a I have a very good, like a straight line to a lot of the festivals. I also used to work as a stage manager. I did that for 12 years in a row. So yeah, I can just go into my messenger and, and message several festival bosses just to check like, uh, would it be possible to do this and this gig? I don't think it helps with the booking or the fee because they want to only have bands that are selling tickets and are relevant. And I, it's not like I just take the gigs by telling them like, I want to be that festival then and then. But at least I have a very, very direct line for the certain festivals. But that's only in Finland. The, in Europe, it doesn't doesn't help at all, especially with the Ukraine-Russia conflict doing a lot of damage with the, with the flight costs and everything being super complicated and difficult. It nothing seems to help. With uh, it's, and everybody is doing everybody is like desperate to do the festivals at the same time, and at the same time, festivals are struggling with uh, with the whole European situation. So nothing helps in Europe, it seems. But uh. But in, in Finland nowadays, I have a very, very good relations with some of the festivals. Sorry, I was on mute and didn't realize I was on mute there. Um, also, do you have a few more minutes left? Yeah. Okay, right. cool. Um, just a couple more questions, actually. So um, with the promotion on this album, then, how do you think feel that it was different this time around? Because there's a lot more avenues open. There's like YouTubers, there's more podcasts and stuff like that. Um, did you feel like it was more broader reaching this time or was it kind of similar to the last album cycle in your opinion? I'm kind of curious because you guys haven't released in so long, so it must seem like a different landscape in a way. Yeah, I said, well, I've been doing Wolfheart, like like we did of course. during yeah. the 10 years plus, uh, plus my other bands. So I've seen the change like yearly, but now, of course, I do remember how it was with Before the Dawn in 2012 when we re released the last album. We didn't, it, we didn't have video interviews back then. That's right. So that's, that's a really, really nice change. I, I have only done like two emailers for this album and I love it. I really hate the typing. And uh, and that that yeah, that's that's a big. I think that's also more interesting for the fans to actually see or hear the interview than just reading the paper. And uh, yeah, of course, a lot of the medias are like now nowadays in YouTube. Like there's actually really big channels in YouTube that are even more important than the magazines when you look at the amount of views. Yeah. So that has also changed, and also yeah, because of that. We are reaching a lot further. Like I'm doing my first Australian interviews next week, so it's um, 
a lot of changes in the good direction. It's a lot easier to reach a lot of people and it's a lot more like efficient when it comes to like scheduling and time. It takes me two hours to do uh, emailer. I can do four interviews during that time in uh, with uh, the Zoom, for example. Yeah, most bands are not fans of the emailers when they can do the uh, video interviews, yeah, I noticed. There's no conversation. Yeah. Now we have a conversation and you can leave the, the, the interview with the, with the different ideas and it's just like an organic thing, yeah. staring at your laptop and seeing the same question that doesn't lead to any follow-up at all. You are just introducing the band, that you are explaining the album title. Yeah. You are just copy pasting yourself, so yeah, this is uh, this is uh, the best thing that happened in in music industry to get rid of the emailers. I'm glad you said that because a lot of a lot of bands we we do PR, so a lot of bands will at first be resistant to doing Zoom interviews because they'll be like, "Well, I could just do email," but 100, I agree with you because it's yeah. more spontaneous that way. Um, and then for my final question, I don't know if Aliyah has any more uh, questions, but um. What kind of advice would you give to a newer band? Um, we're not, let's say that they're not on their debut, but they're they're newer. They're not on a label or anything like that. Uh, but what do you, what would you give as your top tip for a newer band that's kind of like fresh, not on a label? What should they be doing in order to make themselves better known in your opinion? Mm, focus on individual singles and videos instead of a full album. That's also what I, I what I've seen when the band comes out too early, even though if the album is good. But when the album is out, you lost all the songs. For example, if there's a ten tracks on the album, once the album is out, those songs are done. If if that album didn't reach people, it pro most probably never will. So with the individual singles, like a uh, focus on really good songs, uh, do a proper video, save money. And, and take your time and then hire somebody that knows more about the, the press releases and stuff like that. And you can actually get it out instead of just putting out in your social media. Because if you put just the YouTube link on your, on your Facebook, that's not spreading anywhere. Like if you want to reach new people, you need some kind of like professional people to do something. You don't need to hire like a PR company. You don't need to hire a label, but, uh, but, yeah, to reach people, have somebody hire hire somebody to do that job properly and focus on song by song. Then you also you can see if something is not working. If the that person is not doing a good job, hire another one for the next one. If you're getting a very solid feedback of the of the song that the production is bad, then probably it is. Then you need to do better. Same with the songwriting. If there's certain patterns that you see, like you don't need to follow every review or comment and, and act like a, like a jukebox and just try to please people. But if you see a pattern that everybody's saying that the, your drummer is sloppy, then he probably is. And fix that for the next one. So you can actually like uh, use them as like a, like a learning curve or like steps in that ladder. But individual songs, when you do five singles, that's only an EP worth of songs, but you probably have gained a lot more like uh, listeners. You learn from the feedback. You manage to find right people to work with you in the future. So that would be my recommendation. Wise advice. Aliyah, do we have any other questions for him? I think that's a great place to end things. Um, 
So this album is out, Stormbringers from Before the Dawn. Everybody make sure to go check it out. It's really good. Um, yeah, any final words to Unless? Uh, we never played a single show in North America before we buried the band. So that's that would be the best next thing to happen for the band, even though it's increasingly complicated. Yeah, so, so we're here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that that would I would really love to do, because uh, yeah, we did the, we did the, all the tours I've done in North America. I've like with Wolfheart, I a lot of people been coming talk to me about before they don't. So yeah, get to play there would be the best thing, and I think that would be would again now back to my previous answer. I think there's a lot of groundwork to be done in North America, and that only starts when we get the band touring there so that's my next stop as a band leader well i know myself in north america we would love to have you uh, yeah well thank you for coming on again and everyone listening thank you for listening and until next time make like a bull and throw those horns up If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us, recommending it to your friends, or leaving us a review on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Heavy Business, brought to you by C-Squared Music.